2: Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. A couple of months ago, I sat down with actor John Turturro in front of a live audience at the Jerome L. Green Performance Space at New York Public Radio. I've done a couple of these uh, live interviews, and... um, Uh, This is someone who, in this business, somebody who who I've admired for so many years as an actor who has appeared in so many great films and rich films and diverse films and uh, worked with so many incredible directors and there's so many indelible images from the Cone brothers and Woody Allen and Scorsese and, of course, Spike Lee. There's so many roles. worked in the theater and... And for anybody who is, uh, like me, who is always desperate, and that is the word desperate, to find my next binge-viewing source on TV the night of a program on uh, HBO, I remember writing to him and to Steve Zaley and the producer and director and creator and to Richard Price, I was like, you know, how are you going to wrap this up in the final episode? It was just like the most incredibly noogity, thing that was happening in that show, and I love that show, The Night Of, and I hope they do more of it, but, but again, I, I, I love doing this program, because I get to pick people that I want to talk to, I'm very grateful to our guest this evening for agreeing to do this, I don't think he does a lot of this stuff, I don't think he has this, any, uh, the spare time, but please join me in welcoming our very special guest, John Turturro. <laughs> Now all of the things we're going to talk about he and I unfortunately already covered backstage we try to avoid that we try to avoid uh, getting too cozy backstage but I remember um, uh, we were talking about and I was just briefly touching on what it's like for you to produce and write and direct your own films because you've had this incredible career as a film actor and you've made so many great films that are other people's projects and you're an actor for hire, but when you do your own thing, describe to me, for example, the one you just finished.
3: Uh, I just finished a film called Going Places. Uh, it's an uh, adaptation or reimagining of a French film called uh, Les Valsues, which is from the, uh, from the uh, 70s, and it was also a book by Bertrand Blier.
1: Les Valseuses.
3: Les Valsues. It means the waltzers or the testicles. Uh, uh, it was a film that made uh, Gerard Depardieu a star, actually, uh, and it's a really transgressive sort of, uh, it's considered kind of a, a classic in France. Uh, Pauline Kael was a big uh, champion of the film, and it was a film that kind of blew my mind when I was a kid, and uh, I was re-watching it, and I wrote to uh, Blier, and I asked him, I said, would you, you ever think that someone could make a, you know, an American version of it? and uh, he said, yeah, I've seen your films and you're crazy enough and here's the rights. So uh, anyway, it took me a long time to do that and, uh, you know, to, to to adapt it and get the money to do it. And uh, that's why my hair is this way. Uh, 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 and I actually, during the course of it, uh, was... Uh, Doing readings of it, and I was kind of unhappy with what I was doing. And then I thought of, well, you know, there's a character that I've done in a play, and I think I, and also in a movie, and it would kind of maybe work. And I tried it, and it did. And so uh, I'm going to uh, reprise. Of, well, I am. I have reprised the character of Jesus uh, Quintana. So uh, he's he's going to be in this film. He is in the film. So uh, I took this French movie. And uh, a character that I had created at the public theater and then in another movie. And I kind of pushed them all together and it kind of worked out, at least in my mind. It's interesting how
1: someone said that once about Bertolucci in Last Tango, how he picked two actors uh, and he wanted, he, he identified an actor and an actress and he went into their filmography to figure out who... Through a character they had played, that character would have grown to become the character in my film
3: right no it's it's a truth sometimes you want to revisit somebody years later right. and uh, but I, I you know you have to be kind of a little crazy to attempt to do one of these things i I started out the first movie i made mac uh, that was a play and it took me i worked on it for like ten years and uh, and it was my first movie and after I did that, many people asked me to direct other movies but i Kind of knew that i wasn 't really a director for hire, and i I, I did Why? that film well because I did that film because I, I I understood that world I grew up in it. My father was a builder, and there were no films ever made about uh, builders uh, you know it's always about you know gangsters or criminals or lawyers, but you never see a film about you know bricklayers or builders or bridge builders and uh, I wanted to make a film about that because it 's a very uh, challenging and dramatic business. You know, it's, it can be a very dangerous business also.
1: Your father was in construction? My father was a builder. He was a builder. Yeah. And your mother was a housewife or she had a cooler? My
3: mother was a, a, a person. She was a musician and then she kind of gave it up. Her brothers were professional musicians, but she wanted to be like a designer. But she was a very talented person, probably the most talented person in our family. But... Uh, she didn't really get a chance to do all of that but she certainly made sure that you know we had that opportunity How many kids in your family you and your brother? Three boys. Three boys. I'm the middle child.
1: And what did your family think about when you wanted to go to New Paltz and then Yale drama school and uh,
3: my father wanted me to have a backup plan. You know. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted me to be a lawyer <laughs> or a doctor yeah, yeah. and I was pretty good in or school. Get your
1: union card and learn yeah. how. To...
3: He didn't want me to be a carpenter. He no. wanted me to be an architect. You know, he he thought but I wasn't really Good enough in, in math to do that, uh, but uh, he wanted me to be professional. Man, you know, like a lot of immigrant. My father was wasn't born here. He was born in Italy, and he came here in 1931. And then he wound up being you know in the service. He was in uh, World War II. He was in invasion of D Day, and uh, you know, so he was a real kind of American guy. You know, he wanted me to to reap all those rewards.
1: So when you are a child, I mean, because you and I are roughly the same age, mm-hmm. when you were young, what was film and theater in your life as a child? Was your house uh, uh a of, in that? It
3: was a lot of music and, uh, I guess, film. I mean, we would go to the movies all the time, but obviously, probably like you, we watched million-dollar movie. You know what I mean? And The Honeymooners and all those classic things that really influenced us. And, uh, I mean, I think a lot of those Warner Brothers films because they sure. would always be on over and over again with Edward G and uh, Robinson and James Cagney and, you know, Burt Lancaster. you have a favorite? Oh, I loved... I loved them all. Well, I loved so many of them, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, one time I would want to be Burt Lancaster and then I would want to be James Cagney and then... Uh, I mean, I still love those actors and uh-huh. I love those actors because they're really physical and you really see their whole performance and uh, there's still, you know, Barbara Stanwyck, you know, I just uh. you know just crazy about them, and I, st- I have sh- remained so.
1: I remember when I was a kid, my favorite death scene was in uh, City for Conquest. Oh, my God. And Kazan gets shot by the it's river, shot. and they dump the body <laughs> in the river, yeah. and the guys drop the gun, and the guy picks up the gun, and they pistol-whoop the guy. He wakes up, picks up the gun, he shoots Kazan, and Kazan gets shot, he has my favorite death <laughs> line. He goes, ah, oh, geez, I never figured on that at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: that's, a good, that's a great one. More and that's greats. a real tearjerker at the end, because... Oh. Yeah, he goes, he goes blind at the end with Anne Sheridan. So, uh, you know, <laughs> you always my girl. Be- you know, at the end, <laughs> he, he's selling newspapers, you know, and it's like, you know, James, you know, it's uh, so those that was an inspiration. And then when I was introduced, when I saw theater, when I was a teenager, my mother would take me to some plays and I did get a chance to see Al Pacino do the tiger a necktie. Did you feel it? I, yeah, I didn't. You know, know who he was, but my mother and I were like, "Wow, who's that guy?" You know, in that play, and uh, we saw some musicals, Ben Vereen, you know, and uh, it was like just watching live performers. I was, I thought, "Wow, maybe that's something I could do," because I never knew anyone. In the what
1: made you think? It's interesting because for me, I never dreamed of that. Like I, thought, I thought movie stars were like uh, you know, hatched in pods yeah. on some other planet right. and they flew them here in a spaceship and like, you know, nobody really went and did that for no, a living.
3: No, I, I mean we knew a prop man. He lived across the street from us and that was like as close as I was to the movies. So theater was the first entree about maybe trying to do that you know, uh, in college. You know, it wasn't until I saw Dustin Hoffman, actually, which when I saw uh, clips for the Academy Award, I was too young to see Midnight Cowboy. I was shocked, and I was—I remember seeing him. I said, "Like, wow, this guy looks like someone in our family." You know, what's, what, you know, what's he doing in a movie? You know, <laughs> you know, how's the movie better? Yeah, how can he be in a movie? You know, and I was like, kind of shocked to see him, and it was kind of shocking because uh, he sort of opened the doors for these other Pacino and you know De Niro and all those guys and uh, but that was real, I never forget seeing those clips of, you know, for the Academy Awards.
1: Sure. And when you went to New Paul, you went for drama. Yeah, you, and drama and I had a,
3: yeah, and I They have a wonderful um, drama Yeah, and I did a minor in English, and yes, and I was in And you were there for major. four years. Yes. My first play I did was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I played Chief Bromden. Because <laughs> <laughs> this Italian teacher said, you know, listen, you probably could play an in Indian, so you should audition for <laughs> you know? And I was like, all right. Different times, folks, <laughs> different times. <laughs> <laughs> can't do that now yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you see a lot of those guys you know who were indians like anthony quinn he, he played indians you know originally yeah you know, uh, uh
1: jeff chandler jeff chandler yeah
3: bert lancaster
1: bert Lancaster. apache, apache. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's about <ride> a horse <laughs> so uh yeah and when you were there what evolved for you like when you were at new pulse what do you remember propelled you want to keep going
3: well, I did a few plays, a View from the Bridge, Cuckoo's Nest. Uh, later on, I did Night of the You just dug it. You just yeah, dug I, it. Yeah, I, I felt like uh, I found something that I really, I was very raw, and I was, very, I was not that, you know, skilled. I remember one teacher thought I was, but I, I wasn't afraid, you know, to try things. And uh, I had a few teachers who took me under their wing, and uh, they had a major influence on me. Name the, one. Uh, Beverly Brum. Uh, She passed away,
1: but she was... What did she give you? What did she do for you?
3: She she basically educated me in uh, in many different ways and, you know, taught me how to break down a script, how to, you know, play an objective, you know, how to listen to the other actor, you know, how to work physically. uh, And she spent so much time with me, you know, out of the classroom, too, that uh, I had a a bunch of teachers. They really cared about me, and they cared about other students. And I... You know, I'm still friends with, I never, you know, cut off my relationship with those people.
1: It's interesting because, like, I think about people who, and it is kind of a latent learning like they say things to you and it comes back to you even That's years right. later what they said to you you know i rem- remember i did a i had a woman mira rostova who oh, died she's wonderful rostova was my teacher for a year she taught in an apartment that she borrowed from a friend of hers over by the old Barneys. but she was my teacher and uh, she passed away a few years ago she was 99 years old and uh, we did a scene once. I'll never forget this incredible lesson she gave me of not playing everything at the expense of the other actor. Right? Because you're a very warm and very generous actor. You know, you have a, you have a great passion, but you're not uh, selfish. And and uh, that's such an incredible thing I see in people. I'm always drawn to actors like that. Because Rostova would be there, and the actors would do the scene, and the guys at the table, and the woman comes in in her trench coat, and she has her. Pocketbook and her bag-, bag, of groceries or whatever, and the guy goes, uh, "What time is it?" Right. He says. <laughs> right. She goes, "It's six o'clock." He says, "Where you been?" Yeah. John, she, Rostova literally goes, "Okay, let's stop." That's right. Well, that's right. And she goes, "She was. Uh, office. had a very heavy accent." She says, "Why you talk to her like this? <laughs> what time is it? <laughs> Where you been?" Because he prepared it. That's
3: why right,
1: right. he wanted to show. He you. says, well, he says, why don't you not say what time is it? <laughs> Where you been?" He says, "Where you were going? We have plenty of time to get there." Because you know, right. I, mean, like, I, I worked on in daytime a lot, did a soap, and there were guys we used to joke about who they always were going like, to lay into you in the scene. You right, know? right. That's, Even that's... when they said they loved you, they were like, "I love you, Mary." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God damn it I love you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when was was really like all yeah. that tension, you know what I mean? Did, did, you, did you feel that you had that innately, that kind of uh, generosity I, I, of I, spirit you have? On I, th-
3: I think I, you know, I was a pretty good listener, but I, I think I, was, I refined it when I studied the Sandy Meisner technique at Carnegie Hall with Robert X. Modica. He really, that's what it's all about, you know, listening and responding and you know, letting your partner affect you and, and doing out of that. And uh, I thought that was very, very good training, and it's essential.
1: But then, when you, then you decide to go to Yale, why did you uh, not want to dive in and go right to work?
3: I did. I, I tried to go to work. I was very shy uh, about going out there and hustling. I was a school teacher for a while. I taught at uh, I was a substitute. I taught at Rice uh, High School in Harlem. What did you a, teach? A American history, and I also taught at a Catholic school called Our Lady Queen of Martyr, uh, <laughs> uh, fifth and sixth graders. And I and I got invited back to both of these things. But I was doing showcases, and I I. I And my teacher, Beverly Brum, had gone to Yale. And I thought, you know what? Uh, I don't know really how to hustle that much. You know, I was kind of shy. So I applied to NYU and to Yale. And I got into both uh, programs, and I got a scholarship to Yale. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I'll give it a shot. And, uh, you know, my father was overjoyed because he loved uh, the masonry work at Yale. (laughs) (laughs) You know, i kept showing him he was like he didn't care he was like oh my god look at the buildings you know and uh he was like oh my now god that's a building yeah so I, uh and then you know i did i worked a lot there and uh and i i you know i've did a lot new plays got classical plays uh you know uh,
1: so when you get out of yale and what do you do then
3: uh, Lloyd Richards gave me a job. I mean, I, I auditioned and I did two plays: one by Keith Redeen, who was a friend of mine, and one by John Patrick Shanley. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how I met John. And I did uh, the light, the light version of Danny in a Deep Blue Sea. Uh, and then eventually, uh, John, uh, you know, brought me back to do a workshop at uh, Circle Rep. And then I did it later on at the Actors Theatre of Louisville, and then we brought it to New York and. Really, that was my entree, you know, people seeing me on stage. And, and I, I got other work, you know, from that play, you know. And John really had a big effect on me. You know, he, he, you know, he wanted me to be in, like, everything he wrote at that time. And I, I did every reading. And, but uh, he was really supportive of me. And, uh, you know, he's the one who really fought for me to be in Five Corners. And, uh, uh, you know, I really owe a lot to John. Uh, uh, and uh, the
1: five corners was the movie with uh,
3: Jodie Jody Foster and Tim Robbins that was the beginning really and then I started getting in some movies and I did I uh, worked with Billy Freakin, and uh I lived to talk about it uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and I work with Michael Cimino and lived to talk about it. I talk it. about uh,
1: that you did you did uh, to live and die in LA. Yeah. Uh, no, With freaking.
3: Yeah, and that was a pretty wild movie. It was with Bill Peterson and uh, uh Willem Dafoe Defoe and Johnny Pankow. And none of us I don't think had been maybe Willem had been in a movie. And he was pretty out there, guy. And uh, you had to be careful physically. You didn't know what he was going to do to you. And uh we worked in a in a prison uh which with prisoners, with guys on Towers with machine guns. and uh, We we all had altercations with him on the film. And I, I didn't know, you know, this is what movie making is like, that maybe the director will jump on top of you, you know. Uh, but he did. And uh, and I, I think I learned a lot from working with him and working with Chimino because you didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, it was kind of the cocaine 80s, you know, but yeah. there were directors that, you know, would tell the other actor, you know, Hit him in the face, slap him in the face. Even if we were doing a scene like this, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> you now, you know,
1: if you were the patient and they were yeah. a doctor.
3: Right, I'm a doctor. Hit him in the face. Hit him in the face, Bob. Hit him in the face. So it was like the deer hunter scene, the Russian roulette scene applied to every other scene. Yeah. Right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but I, I, you know, I learned to ride a horse on the, the film I worked with uh, Chimino, and uh, I think I learned a lot. The Sicilian? Yeah, and it was really, I was like the only. Italian person in the entire movie you know what I mean and I was Italian American I'm half Sicilian and everyone else was from all over the world and uh, but I think those mo- those movies really helped me for later on to be able to stand up for myself and say you know no I don't agree I'm not going to do that
1: but and is that a part of it meaning because for me you know I remember the beginning of my career and it's, it, you might find this hard to believe I was actually very guileless and I was very tender and uh, um, and uh and I get to work, and i didn 't want to piss anybody off're right. you, you're, you're, sure. you're, you're the guest in their house, and you That's want right. to be uh, professional, and you confuse professionalism with' kind of laying down and just dying. Right. You know That's I mean? right. you're just laying down and not having an opinion right. and the minute you start to have an opinion about anything, right. uh, people are like, you know, oh, Jesus Christ, you know that right. uh, you know, 're difficult and uh, it's very interesting that you say that that you uh, i remember. Uh, on a couple of occasions, I'd sit there and I'd say, oh, you know, I don't. This doesn't really make sense to me. And I I wind up where, like the director, I wouldn't even speak right. for like three months. Right. You know, it's a very difficult process. No, it's you hard and the director to speak Not speaking for three months because I know, think the mean?
3: fear of being fired. If you're an actor, it's so hard to get hired. The be, the fear of being right. fired is, is held over your head, and you have to get to the point where you don't care if you'll be fired. You know, to say I'm I i i am not going to do that. And uh, I did that on Five Corners the first day. And the guy tried to block a scene. and Bill. Bill, and I said, uh, I don't want to do it. And he said, what? I said, nope. And I wanted to be sitting against the wall because the guy had gotten out of prison. And I kind of laid it down. And that was the beginning. And then I had a very good collaboration during that movie. And that's the first movie I felt like I was doing what I could do on stage, but in a
1: movie. And then what happens after you do... Uh then words. I started
3: getting, you know, different uh, Spike Lee, you know, uh, called me up. Uh, the Cohen brothers knew me because I went to school with Francis McDormand, so so they saw all the plays I was I was in, so they would see me all the time. I became kind of friends with them. So then they eventually told me they were writing a part for me, but it took them all such a long time to write Brothers <laughs> Crossing* because they had writer's block, and in the middle of it, they wrote Barton Fink*. That's how they wrote Barton Fink*. And uh, so then I did, uh, I did uh, Spike asked me. Uh, to come in and and he, I read do the right thing and because uh, uh, he saw five corners and you know I, I was excited when I read it I said well this is about what's going on and I grew up in a you know I grew up in a black neighborhood I moved to a white neighborhood I was bused out to all black school so a lot of you know the the issues were issues that I grew up with and uh, and Spike and I really became very very close friends.
1: The film came out in ninety. It, so last year you had the 25th anniversary. Yeah, had or they, the 25th had some, anniversary. they had some event for that, yeah. right? Did they screen yeah. it there in the city? How, what was that like for you to go back and?
3: Well, it was weird because you know I was the ra- I played the racist guy. So when we would go to dailies, which Spike invited everyone to at LI uh, uh, Long Island uh, University in uh, on uh, Flatbush in Brooklyn, you'd see the you know the five takes of me saying all these racist things. And sometimes there were people in the crew you know, who had never worked on a movie before, like the lady in craft services, and she was a black lady. And, and she, wouldn't, she wouldn't talk to me. You know what I mean? She actually yeah. told me, she said, you know, I hate you. You know, she told me, I said, I hate you so much. And, and I told Spike, I said, man, come tell us. I'm doing a part, man, you know. You know uh, he was laughing and stuff like that. So I was kind of, you know, uh, you know worried about, you know, what would happen. But uh, it was only really positive the response But when we saw the uh, 25th anniversary, Michael Jackson had just died. And I have a line in the movie where he goes, fuck you, fuck Frank Sinatra. I say, yeah, fuck you and fuck Michael Jackson too. And it was right after he died. And once again, the audience let out this big response. I was like, oh my God, I, I can never get away. I go
1: back to zero, zero again. Zero
3: again, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was a, uh, it was a, uh, it was an exciting movie, and lots of people had different opinions about the movie, even in the people in the movie. and While you, know, you were shooting? Yeah, well, we had a long rehearsal process. Describe that. We had a real great group there, because we all worked together for 10 weeks. We were on the set every day together. We rehearsed for three in weeks. In Brooklyn. Yeah. And Danny, of course, was... I just saw know, him the other day on the street Yeah, up you know, by Lincoln Center. Oh, so my God. I, got, I mean, you know, so he was, you know, flying high, and Ossie Davis, and Ruby Dee, and... Uh, it was really, it was very uh, upsetting to do the end of the movie. It was very upsetting to do the end of the movie. It was really upsetting. And there was a lot of tension on the set between Danny and Spike about doing the scene the way Spike
1: wanted. Did the way Spike wanted it prevail? Is that what's in the Eventually,
3: movie? it did. It, it did. But it, it, it got really heated. And it actually came close to things getting a little out of control. Uh, and... Uh, but we managed, you know, through it and everything. But I remember I just didn't, it was it was sickening, you know, to do some of that part. I remember me with Giancarlo Esposito we had our hands around each other's throats. And you could just feel like, you know, because uh, we were all really, you know, so close. And then we worked together on other movies after that and stuff. But that was a really special experience.
1: Coming up, John Totoro talks about the crisis but almost convinced him to go to medical school at age 50. Like Totoro, who once lugged film canisters around the country looking for funding, writer-director James Toback is committed to making films on his own terms.
0: You need a heavy dose of
1: megalomania and a heavy dose of humility. It's a combination of the two. Where does your humility come from? From how from, do you access your humility? You, the, the the humility is that you say to your collaborators, you can either enable me to achieve what I know I can do with this movie, or you can prevent me from achieving it. I am at your mercy. If you can give me what I know you can give me. Now, or, is that humility or manipulation? No, it's humility because mm-hmm. I know that if they're not all there for me, and if I've made a wrong selection, I'm gonna I'm doomed. To hear more about James Toback's story, go to here's the My guest today is actor John Turturro. Turturro captivated the nation as Pino in Do the Right Thing and hasn't stopped mesmerizing audiences since. Most recently, we've seen him in HBO's miniseries The Night Of. Like his other roles, this one is raw, wholehearted, vulnerable, and brilliant. Turturro says his work on screen is helped by his experience on stage, and in his early years, he was back and forth between the two.
3: I did a Shanley's play, Italian American, Reconciliation, and then I did Miller's Crossing. And I did Miller's Crossing. Bart and Fink. That was after Miller's Crossing. It was after. Yeah, it was after. Oh. Miller's Crossing was, was first, and uh, and I did that. And then they told me that they had written this movie for me. and I thought they said Bart and Fink. And uh, <laughs> uh, and then, you know, then I, I, I mean, and out of that movie, I got a lot of work and stuff. Uh, but I always went back to the theater, and, and uh, you know, and continued to do theater.
1: Now you met your wife at in, Yale. Uh, at Yale, yeah, and she was studying acting, obviously yeah. as well. And
3: we've worked together many times,
1: and you've directed her with that movie you did, Max. Yeah. she was the star of the film, and she
3: was a star of Illuminata. And I've done a theater with her, master builder. What's that like,
1: like to direct your wife in a film? Uh, well, at I first, was married to an actress once. I'm not quite sure how that would have gone.
3: at, <laughs> at first, it's not good. <laughs> because you know like your brother or I have directed the, I've had my mother my brother and if they all first and they go no like you tell them can you do this no you know it's right. like you know, that's the first uh, and then eventually you have to learn like to respect each other she's the actress I'm the director and we have to kind of Draw lines and separate that, <laughs> and it's not easy to do. I've talked to even people like Joe Cohen, you know, and he's like, "I let my brother direct fran you know what i mean he says you know it's it's uh can be but it can be great once you get you know past that so uh and I think I've had really good collaborations with with kathy, and I think she's done some you know wonderful work uh in in this in she the doesn't finish. want to act anymore no she's now uh studying social work at oh, now, what do
1: you observe about that where just kind of goes that just leaves somebody's body she doesn't want to well, I think it happens
3: anymore. I'm sure it's probably happened to you you think at one time in your life you know maybe it's something I want to do different like, it's
1: happened to me sometimes while I'm on the set shooting a film yeah. <laughs> I'll be like yeah, yeah, yeah I, I want to go home yeah. I mean quit.
3: I I had a sort of crisis maybe 10, 8, 9 10 years ago and told my doctor I said you know I'm, I'm done with this business I've got to do something really important like what you do I said I want to go to medical school I was, like, 50 years old. And he was like, John, you're crazy. He yeah. you know, was like, you know, you know how long medical school takes, yeah. you know? And he said, like, what you do is, there's a value to what you do. And I was like, no, there's not, you know? And then uh, he talked me out of it. and uh, But, you know, it's, everyone hits that, I guess, at some time. But it's
1: interesting how, and I'd love to hear this in your own words, you know, the acting experience... And a lot of it has to do with the people that I'm working with, like if they right. can hit the ball back, you know what right. I mean? Like if I really like somebody. Sure. I did this movie, The Edge, with Tony Hopkins, and I'll never forget they called me and they said, oh, uh, De Niro was supposed to play the lead, and he dropped out. They said, we got Anthony Hopkins, and I started to cry. I mean, I'll never forget, I was on vacation with my ex-wife and we were, her family we were in uh, Carolina at this beach house. And I sat there, I was like, started get like these chest palpitations because I worshipped Tony so much, I just loved Tony. And I thought, I'm going to get to go make a movie. It's me and him, you know what right. I mean? Right. Uh, Harold Perrineau, who uh, was on the show, a lost African-American guy, very young, very good-looking. He had the funniest line, because the three of us are lost in the woods. And he said, Alec Baldwin, Anthony Hopkins, and Harold Perrineau. I wonder which one the bear is going to eat first. (laughs) And so he dies in the film. Um, You know, page 40, page 30, he gets chewed on. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, you know, he was very funny, Harold. But, 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 but we do the movie, and there's Tony and I in the woods for like four or five, six weeks there in Canada. And it was just such a great... I mean, I loved it. He's, I a wonderful, loved it. he's a wonderful person. Yeah.
3: I, I actually did a movie that he directed me in, uh, that he wrote, which I've never seen, actually. Uh, Tony. <laughs> Slipstream, uh, it's called. And I had so much fun working with him. Uh, I, I, I play someone who's like a figment of his imagination. <laughs> And he said to me once, he said, uh, John, John, he said, I'd like you to do this scene. He said, uh, uh, excuse the metaphor, he said, like a cockroach on fire. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know, Mr. Hopkins, you are speaking my language. <laughs> you know, so we laughed. So, we had so much fun. He's such an open guy. Oh, yeah. He's such a wonderful, attractive guy. And I, like, like you, I've always loved his work from Equus and QB7, you know, when I first exactly. saw him. So uh, I can't believe you said that. Yeah, I mean, it was my mother who told me to watch him on that. Uh, yeah. But it, he's a wonderful person.
1: He's a, we, we do the film, and I said to him, My God, you worked with Olivier. Right. And I said, And you did all these plays, and they're from this great tradition. And I said, Don't you ever miss the theater and doing plays? He's like, no, I hate the theater. He hates the- I loathe and detest the theater. Yeah, he, he hates the theater. I was like, really, you do? I said, you yeah. never want to go back into a play? He said, no, I only want. He said, all my life I wanted to move to California. Yeah. He said, and become an American film star. He <laughs> said, drive my car with the top down, <laughs> the sun in my face, the wind in my hair. <laughs> and he wasn't kidding. No, like, he's not like, kidding. What, like what kid. he does now no, he's not. This was his dream: was to be a movie star. Yeah, yeah. Like, he, he doesn't his, give his a shit about. No, it. he hates Shakespeare. Or a pinter, yeah. or none of it. This great yeah. tradition. He will ask you, "Why do you like to do theater?" You right.
3: know, you say, "Well, I like the rehearsal process." You know, uh, you know, yeah. It's, yeah, now, yeah. We,
1: but what's it, pick a pick a film? I mean, obviously, there's many because you're you, you've got so many great films and so much great work. Well, you're doing it and you're in it and you're like, man, this is just bliss to me making this film, playing
3: this uh, role. Well, some of the movies that we just talked about. I, when I worked with Robert Redford, when I did Quiz did Show. Quiz show. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I really, I mean, I gained a lot of weight and everything to do it, uh, but uh, that was a really, that was a really fun experience, and I loved working with him, and he was. How so? He's just like multifaceted, kind of eccentric guy, you know, and uh, he just was so uh, uh, good in specific details, physical details to help free you, and uh, we got along just incredibly well, and I think, probably shows maybe in my performance, I really was very free, you know, with him. And I really wanted to please him. Uh, I, I really did, because he, he was so good-looking. No, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, he is. Uh, and uh, he's very, you know, he he's really seductive, you know, in, in getting you to, to be relaxed and everything. But he was a real consummate craftsman. You know, he's from the theater, and I loved working with him, and uh, that was a, a real joy. And also uh, a movie I made... Uh, with a great Italian director, Francesco Rosi, which I uh, was an uh, adaptation of a Primo levi book, "La Tregua," And I was involved with that for about five years. And I think that's one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, I don't really talk a lot in the film, uh, but I also got a real education with him in, in Italian filmmaking, and also I got to study everything about Primo Levi for like four or five years. And uh, I really I think it really changed my life.
1: So I don't like the word foodie, but you're somebody who you re- appreciate. You're into cooking. You yeah. and your wife are into cooking. Is it true you guys sit down? You have like these meals. Well, oh, my wife's home? a really good
3: cook, and I help prepare and clean. So Is it? Yeah, yeah, and eat. Right. Uh, but yeah, but I think you know, Did as you far grow as grew up in a
1: household, like my mother that? was a yeah.
3: My mother could was a great. She cook. was a world class yeah, cook. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, a lot of my friends would come over to my house to eat. So you know, because and they also like to. Talk to my father, who was a very good storyteller, so uh, you know, uh, my father was like very childlike in his, you know, like if he'd watch movies with him, he was like he was in the movie, you know. Uh, I mean, there's a movie that we used to watch together, Brute Force, that Burton Lancaster, was right. in. have you seen that with Neum Krohn? Yeah, and my father was like he was like in the movie, you know. But, so that's how it was at my house, like you were in it. My
1: dad was the same way, yeah, you know. My dad was my, my, my dad would come home from work and we lay there, and my mother was kind of. With six children and no money to help her raise her children, my mother was completely, you know, blotto at the end of the night, asleep in her bed at like 10 o'clock. And I'd say, who's going to let dad in the house? I've, I've, I literally had a run of time. It probably lasted about two or three years where I got away with this. I'd say, I'm going to stay up and make sure dad's okay when he gets home. My mother would be like, and I'd go in the living room and wait for my father to come home. And i greet my father. Everybody else is asleep. And my father would be like, a you know, very, you know, taciturn. What are you doing up? It's 11.30. And I'd say, uh, uh, we'd sit down on the couch and he'd, and he'd open up the New York Times. And he'd have those really pithy little uh, capsule reviews in the Times of movies on uh, The Late Show. Right. And he'd say, Oh, that's a good one. I'd say, What's that? He'd say, uh, How Green Was My Valley. It's a great movie. Great movie. And I go, Well, maybe we, we watch like 15 minutes? he would be like, All right, 15 minutes. We're going to watch 15 minutes of this movie. And once you get upstairs, you get to bed. Yeah. You gotta go to school tomorrow. Yeah. And I would sit there and within fifteen minutes it work like a chump. He'd pass out of sleep. Right. And I'd watch all of How Green Was My Valley till one o'clock in the morning on right. the late show, you know? <laughs> and at times that we would watch the movies together, he would like yeah. put his hand out during the moment, you know. Yeah. You know, uh, he wishes to be accorded the same rights as a sponge. And my father would go, He wishes to think <laughs> you know, like yeah. uh, Spencer Tracy and so forth. Yeah. He my father would quote all the lines. Well you know. Maybe it was the same for you, right? Yeah, no, it's uh it was a real
3: kind of sharing experience.
1: Now, your wife's a great cook. She comes from an Italian household. Your wife. No, my oh. wife's Russian Jewish. I'm, yeah. no, I'm kidding. No, I'm yeah. kidding. No. She learned to cook. The, the Barowitz section yeah, of yeah. Bari, uh, Italy. She, huh? Yeah, I know. She learned to cook. Does she learn to cook from your family? How does she learn to cook? Mm, she's self-taught? You
3: know, she's has increased her uh, repertoire over the years, yes. She, now she's a very good cook. And you made movies where this is the central? Well, I've made movies. I made, uh, made a documentary called Passione, which uh-huh. is all about Neapolitan music because I was introduced to Neapolitan culture by Francesco Rosi. I've, I've actually performed in the theater in, in, uh, in Italy twice. That's an interesting experience, performing in the theater in Italy. It's very interesting. I hope so. Well, I did this one play. It's a, it's a play, it's like a neorealist play. It's a play about poor people. And the guy And the guy who's married to this woman, she has a lover. But he either imagines or he just makes him into a ghost because the guy leaves money you know for the whole thing and at the end of the play the guy goes away he doesn't want to be the lover of his wife anymore and the money dries up and he sees the guy and he thinks he's a ghost or maybe he's made himself think he's a ghost and he explains to him you know it's it's hard to be in love when you don't have money you know if you if you don't have if you can't buy someone a pair of earrings or or a, a nice handkerchief you know the, the love can die you know, if you're poor and you're starving, it's a beautiful speech. And it was written in 1946 by Eduardo Di Filippo. So I came out to do it in Naples, in English mostly, we did a little bit of Neapolitan. And when I came out to do the speech, and I said the first line, and I saw rows of handkerchiefs come out of people's uh, jackets, rows. And I was like, whoa, because you know, it distracts you, right? It's the white in the audience. And then I said a couple more lines and then they were all, you know, working themselves up. They were doing this basically the speech for me. You know, it was like I was surfing on their emotion. So I just had to say the line and then you heard oh, oh, oh. You know what I mean? And I, I was like, I can't believe this. I said, This I haven't even done the speech. And they're so I was just kind of floating on this sea of white handkerchiefs. I never had experience like that ever in my life.
1: You know, I see people now, in my own work, or in my own life, where you are uh, pitching and uh, trying to make films and right. uh, television shows and what have you. And it's so difficult to raise money now. It's this almost mind-bendingly difficult prospect. And the, this idea that the, the business was run years ago by people who were filmmakers. They, they, they had money. Uh, studios were banks with billions of dollars in lines of credit up through the 80s and then at some point um, uh, that changed. and now that people we, we that whole spiel about uh, the corporatization of the media and so forth how was it changed in your mind and it's much harder it's
3: much harder I mean the first movie I made uh, was a Columbia tri-star home video it was Larry Estes who gave uh, money to a lot of uh, small films including Sex, Lies, and Videotape, One False Move. He must have done like 45 movies he financed. And I think we had a little over $2 million, but I had 43 days to shoot my first film. And my second film I had 40 days. And, and you know, the film I did with... Uh, then I had like maybe 45 days, and then I had 30 days with the movie I made with Woody. And this last film I had 28 days. And, you know, it's... You're not 25... And, you know, it's hard to light someone, you know, beautifully in that mm-hmm. amount of time. So uh, you have to cobble it together if you're lucky uh, enough. But I feel like people don't always bet on the person. And when I first started making movies, there were a few people I would talk to and they would, they would bet on me. They would say, okay, I trust you. There was a man in Japan, uh, gave me money for my second movie. and he How did that happen? Uh, well, my, you know, he was a, a distributor and he would look at my presentation, saw all the the, the the pictures and the artwork, but he was also looking at me and trying to, you know, and judging me as a person. And he was, you know, he bet on me, not just all the people, all the names I have in it. So it, it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to make a movie because no one ever thinks about chemistry. You know, they, that's like the last thing people ever think about. And that can be essential in a movie, whether you're playing your best friend or, or lovers or whatever. And uh, you know, it's, almost everything is set up against you. So you have to be a little crazy and really love the material to say, well, I'm gonna do something that's different. But of course, if you do that, then it's even harder, you know, because everybody's afraid. I mean, I made that movie with Woody, for example. I've always thought, well, maybe we would be interesting together. And the guy who cuts my hair cuts Woody's hair. <laughs> and I happen to mention Wait, it to what? him. Wait, what? And he talks like this, you know. And he told Woody this idea that I had. And Woody was like, well, you know, have John call me. So, you know. Uh, and uh, I was like, what did you say to Woody? Uh, he, I told him this idea. So I went to Woody's office. I had no script, nothing. But I had directed some movies. And Woody, you know, you know Woody well because you work with him a lot. And I sat this close to him, and he said, so, you know, we share a barber. you know, I said, yeah, <laughs> I said, yes, I said, and so I told him the story, I said, you know, with, you run a bookstore, you, run, you know, you run out of money, and then, you know, you decide to, to pimp me out, and blah, 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 he goes, funny, you know. Then I said something else, he goes, not funny. <laughs> then another something else could be funny, you know. So then he said, you write it, and then I'll give you my criticism, you know, of course, I didn't know how merciless his criticism could be. You was know? it? And, oh my God! It was, it was beyond merciless. And at the end of it, of course, he said, "Well, I could be wrong." You know. <laughs> uh, so anytime I, I, anytime I would send him another draft, I would lay down and read his email. I, I would, it, there was, yeah. it was just. But during yeah. the course of it, you he asked me, you know, to, he asked me to direct these. One X, one of them that he had written, and I got to know him quite well. Right. And from that, I was able to rewrite it. Who were the other two? Uh, one by Elaine May, Elaine May. and uh, and uh, Ethan Cohen, and I I survived. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, I, I went through. I did all these auditions with Woody, which was fascinating. You know, I mean, God, you know, he's he's a tough guy to audition for. You know. Uh, but I got to know him really well and eventually you know he did sign off on the script and she did a ter- terrific job and he was a wonderful actor to work with he's such a good actor and I was oh. like wow he's, this guy's good you know <laughs> and uh, so but it was a great experience but I I did 15 drafts and he you know kicked your teeth out he was just time. like you know I and mean, when I showed him the rough cut he said do you want my criticism and I was like <laughs> I said, well like of course I do because well Bring you it. know he said you know he was sitting in the chair he goes, I'm gonna be brutal you know and I, I and he really liked it he was so surprised and I was like, wow, you know I was uh, but it was a great you know experience and I tailored it obviously to him but my idea that we could be good together was true
1: but the thing the funny thing when i worked with him was the difference between that that chasm between comedy and drama oh my god so we do uh, blue jasmine and um kate blanchett is drinking diet cokes and chain smoking and she's got to come in and do this scene where she comes apart yeah. and we have this physical altercation in this house kate comes in and she does the scene and woody's like y- y- you know you're supposed to be at your wits end here in the <laughs> scene and i right. i'm just not buying it i mean you're supposed to be coming yep. apart, <laughs> yeah, completely right. coming apart. Can yeah, yeah, sure. we do another take? And she does the take and she just wrings herself out. It's like, I'm just not buying it. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> That's you how you he really is. have to be just shattered and you're broken into a mess. You're just a puddle of your own loss and everything. And she's smoking and drinking the coffee. And she comes in, she blows it. And gets, I, 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 I hate to be the bearer of bad news. <laughs> All that's how the he time is. Here. Yeah, That's and how he, he is. He just rings her out, yeah, rings her out. Yeah, then we I've turn heard. around, we do a scene, and he goes, uh, in this scene, say to her uh, that she ought to go back to seeing that therapist of hers, uh, and just say some doctor's name. And I go, and he's looking down at the floor, and she's here, and you're me. And he goes, and just ad lib some doctor's name, and I go, Doctor Fetterman. And he went, nothing funny. Yeah, like that's funny, no funny. Yeah, in this. You know, not well, a funny that's movie. a
3: whole other thing with him. thing. You know, he's. He's tough, man. He's a tough, he's a tough dude.
1: Now, in the time we have left, because we are going to run out of right. time, unfortunately, so I want to talk to you about the, the HBO series. So, okay. I've, so I'm, and this is, a, this is a true story. I'll tell it quickly. I'm at Jimmy Gandolfini's memorial service. Jimmy passes away. I love Jimmy. I was there, too. Jimmy was, uh, everybody who knew Jimmy loved Jimmy. He's a real great guy, a sweetheart, and so talented. And um, sure. he passes away. They're going to shelve that project. And as I'm sitting there in the memorial service, Zalian is behind me, sitting behind me. And we're waiting for everybody to file in. And I'm for about 15 seconds. I'm on the verge of pitching myself to Zalian for Jimmy's part at Jimmy's memorial service. <laughs> Actors, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to turn to Zalian. That's how it goes. But anyway, no, I, I, I didn't do that. But but um, so the whole thing goes away, and then it comes back, and you are the star of well, the I mean. Show. How did that happen?
3: Steve wanted me to be in his first movie, uh, Searching for Bobby Fischer. So we've always, like, you know, I know he liked my work, and I liked him a lot. And I guess my name came up, and he really responded to it, and my my agent talked to him. And then we met, and then he told me that it was James. And uh, I didn't know it at that time, and James was the lead in my movie, Romance and Cigarettes, so I worked with James two years on it. I also know him from the time he did your play, because he's dear friends with my cousin Aida and he's the one who helped cast her on the Sopranos and uh I was very close to James and uh I I really had a lot of trepidation about it and then I saw the pilot which was much much longer and James was only in it for one little scene of course he's still interesting with a big beard and everything and but he never talks to the guy he just talks to the cop I said okay there's not that much of James that I have to kind of not think about it was a really uh challenging uh, experience but I got to work with Bill Camp who Bill he did his first job with me Jeannie Berlin and Riz Ahmed who's wonderful in the show he's a wonderful guy mm-hmm. and I just happened to really hit it off with him as, as like people and I think it really helped us in the scenes uh, but it's you know it's about the system it's about Racism. It's about the city. It's about you know the criminal justice system. And when you read that article in the New Yorker about Khalif Bruder, the, the kid who was accused of stealing a backpack, you know it's right on the money. And uh, uh, he was someone we I actually wanted to meet. And then he took his own life. Uh, uh, but I, I was really you know deeply interested and affected. By doing something that I thought was a real fair representation, uh, and Steve was indefatigable in his pursuit of truth and you know minutia and detail, and uh, it was a it was a great you know you know you have to be given an opportunity to do something. So I knew I said well, this is a good opportunity, and uh, I you know. I gave it. I gave it my all. Well, it's funny,
1: how the Jimmy. Uh, this is. It's it's impossible to compare people, and um, it's just it's it's a waste of time. But you know, when he passed away, and you know, Jimmy was somebody who hey, he had his signature range and stamp and persona, and so mm-hmm. so much of it obviously dictated by a, you know, one of the most successful TV shows ever. I mean, you knew him right
3: from the beginning. You know, I mean, you
1: really. I'll oh, never forget him. the show becomes a hit, yeah. Greg Mosher calls me on the phone. I'm asleep. I flew in from L.A and I'm sound asleep, and Mosher calls me, and, and, and I answer the phone, and he literally goes, Quick, who's the number one actor on TV? And I, I literally go, What? He goes, Who's the number one actor on television? Who's the biggest star on television? I go, Michael J. Fox? <laughs> and he goes, No, you idiot. It's Jimmy Gandolfini, because he just got nominated right. for an Emmy All at right. that time, and the show was really taken right. off. And here was Jimmy, who had this small right. role in the play, and he went on to have this great, great career. However, and I want to just, I'm going to, almost wrap it up here with saying this and that is what I love about that show and what worked so great about that show is that no one can replace someone it's not even about that but when they looked for somebody who could create a character that could carry that show you did such a fantastic job in that show I loved watching you in that show I'm so pissed off it ended I can't wait. I know, so the question obviously is is there a chance you might come back and uh, do another round or you don't yeah, know Yeah, there's a chance. There's a potential that you yeah, might do there's that, there's that, a that,
3: chance that's fantastic. that. That's right. Now so the
1: last thing I want to ask you 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 have such a deep you're very soulful in the work you do. You are you're, you're 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 smart and you're aware. You're so many things inside of your acting that are so many good things for people to be. And I'm wondering, what do you attribute that to? If you can say, are you into meditation? Are you, what are you, like, well, how do you, well, I like how do you the, feed yourself? To I like other work? people, you
3: know? I mean, like, it's funny, you know, when you asked me to do this, I, I was thinking, there's only a couple people who've ever written me a note as an actor, and you're one of them. You're like one of the three. Yeah, you wrote me, like, a note after I did Quiz Show. And, right. Yeah, and, you know, I like other people. And I think, I think that's a good thing. I think and that keeps you fresh and live, and if you're interested in other people and working with other people. And I think you're either, you know, you know curious about that or not, because, you know, sometimes one plus one can equal five. You know, it can can be greater than the the sum of its parts. And that's what, you know, interests me, is to have encounters with people. And so uh, I don't know if I get that from my mom, you know, my dad, you know. uh, But I don't take my opportunities lightly. Uh, I'm very thankful when I get a really good opportunity. And I still am. I mean, because I know how hard it is to, you know, as a part of you, you feel like, yeah, I'm good, you know, when you're doing it. Then when it's over, you're like, well, did I really do that? You know, did I do okay? Or, you know, whatever, you know, it's like, and then it's kind of gone. You feel like you're never done. Yeah, you know, it's right. You're, You're still in the process of learning. And I think that's something that's good. You know, an actor, we can improve actually we you know we're not like done when we're 30.
1: When's your movie going to come out?
3: Uh, I don't know, I don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm just beginning to edit, to
1: edit. it right now so. Uh, and then what do you do what do you do with the film with the festivals? Markets. Well you
3: know sometimes you can sell it in advance you, can. you know there's people who want to see it and we've shown a little teaser and uh, you know you go You've from You've been there. down that road before showing so you know what I'll, to do. B- believe me I've yeah. been down that road I have Lugged. You're cooking dinner for these people. I've lugged uh, film canisters around the country, you know what I mean? But that's okay. If there's something that you really love, that's all right. I've done it. So, uh, But this case, uh, I think we'll hopefully, you know, make a nice sale of the film.
1: We're looking forward to seeing it. Thank you very much for Thank doing this Thank you for, for having us. me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Based on his previous work, it seems safe to say John Turturro is right. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing.
0: Right here, right now.